0: It's NBA Draft Week, and today we are going to look at how basketball talent acquisition has radically changed over the decades. It's Wednesday, June 21st. Happy summer solstice. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. Perhaps the biggest change in the NBA over the last 30 years is in where the players are coming from. My colleague Doug Greenberg dove into this phenomenon in a feature that you can read on FrontOfficeSports.com called "From the Champs to the Draft: The World Has Taken Over the NBA." Joining me now is FOS writer Doug Greenberg. Welcome, Doug.
1: Thanks for having me, Owen. Yeah, great to be back. Um, and yeah, this is a this is a fun topic. I'm excited to talk about it.
0: Yeah, for sure. So the impact that players born outside the U.S. have had on the NBA was already quite visible. But the last few weeks have really driven that point home. So, yeah, just give us a quick tour of of the superstars from overseas that have been highlighted, you know, this week and the last couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, so I had been uh, I've actually I had actually been knocking around this idea for this story for a while, because to be honest, I'm pretty I'm pretty obsessed with Victor Wambayama. Um, and I'm just so, so excited for him to come into the league um and then the league did us a solid by having Joel Embiid be the MVP this year I mean it was going to probably be Embiid or Jokic um so you know either way we were looking pretty good for that and then the Nuggets really did me a solid by winning the championship with Jokic and Jamal Murray as their stars uh most people forget that Jamal Murray is from Canada yeah it's uh it's really been this interesting phenomenon and it's it's not something that kind of happened by accident. Like it's not like we suddenly just got this weird influx of international players and it was totally random. Um, This has been partially a concerted effort by the NBA and partially just the world starting to pick up on basketball um, and, and how accessible it is to the world. Um, You know, in the way that soccer is very accessible, basketball is pretty accessible as well. All you need is a ball, you need a hoop and that's pretty much about it. Um, So, you know, and it all kind of started, um, in 1992 with the dream team. Um, you know, David Stern was, was really, really instrumental in trying to get the NBA players into the Olympics. And then the first time that they did, they built the dream team and, you know, uh, it was in Barcelona and Spain. And, uh, so a European audience really got to see these guys up close for the first time and saw how awesome they were. And then wouldn't you know, it, uh, you know, uh, a number of years later, Dirk Nowitzki, Tony Parker, oh, and Pau Gasol from <laughs> Spain, of course. Uh-huh, right, right. Um, Yeah, and they, uh, those guys, you know, ended up having Hall of Fame careers. They inspired this next generation that we're seeing right now between Jokic, um, Luka Doncic, you know, all those guys. Uh, they kind of grew up idolizing these European guys, and now we're getting Victor Wembayama who is an absolute basketball unicorn? Uh, you know, over seven feet tall, plays like a point guard. You know, one of the best prospects the NBA has ever seen. Um, and it's it's really just built up to like such an interesting point. And again, uh, sort of, somewhat somewhat by design from the NBA, which is very cool.
0: Yeah, it's hard to imagine you know, the last couple decades of the NBA without Tony Parker, without Dirk Nowitzki. But yet you make the point in your piece that without that dream team moment, Tony Parker might be a soccer player. I'm not sure what Dirk does, but maybe he's a soccer player too. But, uh, but, but yeah. And that that's really kicked off this whole movement. And now you just assume you're going to see Eastern European players that you're going to see some African players when, when you turn on an, an NBA game. Um, what efforts has the league undertaken to grow this international community?
1: Yeah. So, you know, obviously getting the, it started with getting the players in the Olympics, which they did. Um, and then that, that's been continuing. Um, but they have a lot of grassroots programs that they've had over the years. Um, you know, they have these things called junior NBA. They have, um, uh, I think it's called NBA Academy. Um and then they also have uh, the one that's really been very successful. It's called Basketball Without Borders, um, which basically sets up a lot of uh, basketball camps just all around the world. Um, and it's actually produced a ton of NBA players so far, um, no, most notably DeAndre Ayton, who was number one pick, Rui Hachimura from Japan, who's a very good player, um, and wouldn't you know it, Jamal Murray, uh, one of the you know uh, one of the star players on the Nuggets who just won the title. Um, so basketball without borders has been, you know, hugely, hugely successful, um, and, and you know, there's been a lot of efforts by the league um, to to kind of build that out. They've they've done a lot of work, especially in Africa too. Um, you know, Africa sort of has like a, a special place in the NBA. You know, the first NBA, the first MVP internationally was uh, Hakeem Olajuwon, who's from Nigeria. Um, he was also the first number one overall pick who was international, uh, very notably in the same draft that Michael Jordan was drafted in.
0: Right, I was going to um, say went Alajouan, yeah. then that other guy, and then Jordan.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So funny, funny, interesting draft. But you know what, Alajouan was a great pick. He won two NBA titles. He was an MVP, Hall of Famer. Um, and and so Africa has sort of held a, an interesting place. And and also the most recent MVP, Joel Embiid, uh, is from Cameroon. So they've had a lot of, they've made a lot of efforts in Africa. They helped launch the Basketball Africa League um, a few years ago, which is building basically a continental professional basketball league that brings forth a lot of individual countries um, to basically have them all compete against each other. And it's been in partnership between the, the NBA and FIBA. Um, so that's been really really uh, that's been really, really successful and, and something they've really been making a big effort with.
0: All right, good stuff. Doug Greenberg, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Owen. Victor Wembanyama is 19 years old, and he would not be able to enter the NBA next season if it were not for my next guest, who had the largest individual impact of any player in NBA history on who can play and who can't. I am now very excited to be joined by NBA Hall of Famer Spencer Haywood. Welcome, Spencer.
2: Hi, thank you for having
0: me. So uh, I just saw a clip of us, Kareem, Julius Irving. It was from Julius Irving, what he was talking about. You, Kareem, Abdul-Jabbar, they all got together. And Kareem is something for the NBA did after LeBron broke the Kareem's um, all-time points record. Kareem's elbowing you in the side and said, you know, he wouldn't have broken it if it wasn't for you. And of course, you know, that's true. (laughs) Well, Duh. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he wouldn't
2: have because uh, just for the audience's sake, uh, what he has is he he's, he got four extra years because he didn't play in college. Kareem played in college for four years. Uh, LeBron did not. Uh, so you look at the numbers, I think it was 8,441. I'm not counting, but just the number yeah. of points, give or take. Yeah, yeah, that's the reality. But, you know, some often those young guys, they just take it for granted that, you know, you could just leave college or leave high school and come into the NBA. And it was n- never any case or anything. And um, so they they are misinformed, but uneducated about this ruling, uneducated about the idea that a player had to fight all the way to the Supreme Court, they had to put everything on the line so that they will have this opportunity in the future.
0: Yeah, so let's get that story. So, of course, you were that player, and in 1970, mm-hmm. this case went up all the way to the Supreme Court. What was the case? What,
2: what were you, you know, battling with the NBA over? Well, it was for the right to play in the league. Uh, the NBA had a bedrock principle that stated that you must be four years after your high school class had graduated before you could go into the NBA. Thus, my years were at three years because I had went to the I went to went to college for two years, and then I went to the ABA for the for the third year. And going into my fourth year, I wanted to play in the NBA. And the NBA says, no, you have to wait or sit out or go back to the ABA for one year. And the ABA, because I chose to leave the ABA because of contract, they gave me just a fraudulent, fraudulent contract. And I decided that I needed to play in the NBA because it wasn't going to be fair treatment. And the owner of the ABA team said that, You know, we got you over a barrel. Even though I was the MVP of the league, rookie of the year, leading scorer with 30 and 20, basically, and 30 and 19.5 rebounds, uh, you can't go back to college, which I could not because I I had broke my eligibility there. And I couldn't go to the NBA because I was ineligible. So they had me over a barrel, so they was going to force me to play another year in the ABA under a fraudulent contract. That fraudulent contract read that I would get, say, $75,000 a year for salary, and they would put $10,000 in Wall Street. So this money was going to be derived uh, or arrived at this $1.5 million when I reached age 50 to age 70. Wow. It's when I will receive the money. But here's the caveat. I would have to be employed by Ringsby Truck Line in order to receive it from age 50 to age 70. Which mean I had to be employed. Ringsby Truck Line was they owned the team. Ah. I the got it. JW Ringsby, the Ringsby Rockets. And most people always say, Why are why was the team named the Rockets? Hmm. Because the logo for Ringsby Truck Line was Rocket Service. Wow. I always assumed it was Wait. a
0: NASA thing, but yeah.
2: You know. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. when so when I <laughs> so when I applied to the, I signed the contract with the NBA. Sam Schulman of the Seattle Supersonics, and he says, "Well, you know, we're going to play you this year." And I said, "Well, that sounds great for me because let's go for it." And so when I signed the contract and then I got ready to walk on the floor, uh, the NBA said. And on the microphone. Ladies and gentlemen, this game is being played under protest because we have an illegal player on the floor, number 24. Hmm. So I played 10 games under those uh <laughs> under those, yeah <laughs> those rules of, of madness, and then they got a they got a 10 game injunction against me. Not to play so I had to sit at home and wait it out and waiting out and then I got another injunction to play And of course it got worse and they could say, you know, you throw bottles you can hit him You could do anything on the floor Because he's an illegal player and they would threaten the fans by saying this game cannot proceed with this player on the floor Wow, yeah. And so a couple of games Lenny Wilkins Rod Thorne and These were the coaches and players as well on that on my Sonic team. They say, hey man, you gotta go downstairs. We gotta get this game over with because we wanna get out of here. And so I would have to go sit in the locker room and get, you know, get the game over with. And then we would play again. And then we got to Cincinnati, where the the injunction read, Not only would I not be able to play, but I had to leave the grounds in which that arena sat on. Wow. So I was way out into the cold in the snow on the on the outside of the, the arena. And so that's when I nearly froze to death. Luckily for me, the the police that were guarding me said, hey, we're not going to let you freeze. Get in the car and we'll warm you up. We might lose our jobs, but wow. we know you're doing the right thing. So eventually it maneuvered, the maneuvers for the for the, all the, way, the case maneuvered all the way to the Supreme Court. And that's when Thurgood Marshall, but also Chief Justice, stated that under the Sherman Antitrust, remember old, old General Sherman, sure. <laughs> that we cannot uh, stop a player or a person from making a living. And they gave the examples of the Vietnam War and that we are taking young men into war at age 18 to 20 and so on, and they're fighting for this country, but yet here we got a case in front of us where a man is just fighting to get his mother out of the cotton fields of Mississippi in the poorest county in the world, and we are ruling in favor of him playing basketball for a living, and that's how we got to this case. Which yeah. has, you know, created so much wealth. I mean, some numbers are, are, are pretty good in terms of uh, it's somewhere around between fifty, I think fifty billion dollars, maybe. Yeah. In player yeah. revenue, player salary, and the owners they got in on the deal because they were able to expand from fifteen to thirty teams because you have a pool. In which to, of young players in which to pull to pull from so the economics went from a 300 000, 300 million dollar franchise to nowadays is what seven billion golden mm-hmm. State. so <laughs> yeah and it's good for the league of course it's yeah. good for the league to have these stars in the in the game you know earlier I know. I know. yeah absolutely. but you know the fear the fear of uh, you can't <laughs> break our rule. Yeah. It's, it's a real thing, you know, in, in sports. It's a very real thing. So I am still ostracized for really? breaking that rule. Really?
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh, wow. Wow. Um, and so the league these days has gone a little bit back and forth between it used to be for a brief period you could just graduate high school and then go straight into the NBA. Now you have to either be nineteen or spend a year away after, after your high school graduating class finishes. Do you have any thoughts on, you know, how that should line up? Do you does it, you know, matter to you if it's nineteen or eighteen or seventeen?
2: Well, I, I just think that if you graduated high school and you're good enough. LeBron James is a perfect example. Kobe Bryant is another example. Kevin Garnett, another example. Just the name three. We can go all the way back and forth on all of that. But they are the example. I just think that the union for the NBA Players Association negotiated that deal because the NBA wanted to have one more extra year because they, had, they needed veterans on the team and they didn't want to load it up with young players and then you have some chaos because mm-hmm. nobody knows what's going on. And so I think that was put in for that purpose and that purpose only, that we will look good to the public and we're not taking them out of high school. So I thought this year in the collective bargaining agreement that they would go back to the high school, uh and that they would put my name on my ruling, but they didn't. So they uh-huh. didn't finish that collective bargaining out. But it'll finish itself in God's time in due time. So I'm okay yeah. with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Uh, we need to let you go pretty soon. But I also know that you're a big jazz guy. So I want let you go. Not the, uh, new,
2: not, not the Utah jazz. But right, right. Not, not the audience jazz. Real <laughs> jazz. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that stuff, yeah. yeah. Anyway, I know the big names. I know Coltrane, Miles Davis. You know, the, the, the names everyone knows. But give me a couple, uh, especially a keyboardist. I love jazz keyboard. I should look up.
2: Well, uh, he played for my 36th birthday. In New York was McCoy Tyner. Of course, he was with Coltrane, so that's mm-hmm. not a that's not a far reach. But um, I like I loved Amar Jamal. His style of play was light and but yet so beautiful. Um, gosh, I mean Bill Evans. Oh yeah, I know bit. Bill Evans. He's great. Yeah, he's great. just great. Yeah. really really great so and those in that vein you you hear and you you feel the sound of the music and you feel the the uniqueness of those kind of players those three come to mind right off but all day yesterday on the workout machine i listened mm-hmm. to straight ahead jazz i mean it was like hardcore i was mm-hmm. like Woo, lee morgan pepper adams uh My gosh, it was just Eddie Jefferson. I was just so into it. I couldn't stop. I couldn't get out. Jazz had me locked in. I couldn't leave.
0: Last question. Uh, Anyone, uh, any basketball player from your time or today who reminds you of a
2: jazz musician on the court? Julius Irving was like, we both were friends of Grover Washington Jr. So uh, Julius Irving was this jazz cat that, you know, like he was like a a saxophone just going, because he made so many different moves and cuts. And Kareem was the fundamentalist, you know, who would just, I know they think Tim Duncan was, but Kareem was the original fundamental player that just played really nice and clean and smooth. So, yeah, those two guys are my two guys because I love them too. So,
0: Yeah, and you know, right? And starting and ending with Dr. J and Kareem. Hard to do better than that. Spencer Haywood, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thank you so much for having me. That is it for today. The NBA draft is tomorrow. We will have ongoing coverage with that. Rate us, review us, subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. We would love to have you. Thanks for listening. We will see you tomorrow.